Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello everyone and welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show where we demonstrate that everything, simply everything, has its own history, like hiding, bravery and spitting. Oh, spitting. I love that as an idea for a history, Sam. We will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew that the history of hiding is in fact all about the Reformation, or that the history of scabs, yes, scabs, is all about medieval medicine. The man sitting opposite me who will help pilot us through this wonderful historical world is one of the country's leading professors of history. It's Professor James Daybell. Hi, James. Hello, Sam. And the man sitting opposite me is the famous historical adventurer, Dr Sam Willis. This is another episode of our special series, Homeschooling for Kids. In each episode, we take a subject that I bet you don't think has a history. And we're going to prove that it does. And today, it's brilliant. We were trying to work out a way of doing the Normans. And James just uh, sent me a message and he said, I think we should do showing off. We should do show-offs. <laughs> we, we, we should. And this is especially uh, for a colleague of mine uh, at the University of Plymouth, Will Blake, and his son, who is at Kevix. So big up to King Edward VII Community College in Totnes, which has a very fine castle, incidentally, doesn't it, Sam? It does have a very fine castle, a Norman castle, mm. actually, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Excellent. Um, yeah, and also, you know, um, if uh, anyone get in touch um, with history teachers, do get in touch with us and suggest different topics that we can do. And we're delighted to be able to do one to order, as it were. So show offs, James. Let's just think widely and across history rather than just at the Normans at this stage about how you think about the history of show offs. Well, for me, I, as a Tudor historian, I'm thinking very much Henry VIII. This is a completely braggadocious individual. In other words, somebody who brags a lot, who is very concerned and obsessed with his own ego, a real megalomaniac. And we could think about it in terms of historical personalities, maybe Louis XIV, Adolf Hitler, Mussolini, figures like that. We could also think about it in terms of the history of fashion. So people showing off in terms of what they're wearing, in terms of style and fashion sense and outlandish fashion. So people striking a pose down the high street. Just think of those 18th century dresses that were actually wider 
than they were tall. They were the kind of dresses that were designed to be worn on these enormously extravagant 18th century staircases, which gets us to architecture, which could Ooh, yeah. also be about showing off. Just think about those Elizabethan and Jacobean prodigy houses, which are all about showing how grand and important you are. And think, for example, of Hardwick Hall, built by Bess of Hardwick, designed by the architect Robert Smithson, an exponent of the Renaissance style of architecture. And it is one of the most outlandishly opulent and show-offy houses that I can think of. Clothes is a really good idea. There was I was doing some work on the American Revolution a couple of years ago, and it was I came across a um, an article where the Americans were describing the French and just how outlandish their clothes were in the 1770s, and how they wanted to show off not only their wealth and their style and their fashion sense, but also the fact that they were French. They were very proud of their national identity. Um, and you're talking briefly there about Hitler and Mussolini and the others. If you want to see the best example of a nation showing off, then you need to watch a film. It's on YouTube. It's called Triumph of the Will, and it was made by the Nazis in 1935. It's one of the most historically important propaganda films that ever made. And it is showing off uh, the Nazi regime and also their vision, their desire to change Germany. Um, absolutely fascinating film. So I'd have a look at that. Goodness me. I can also think about this in terms of lavish gifts. So gifts that you give that are so expensive that in fact, in the act of giving them, you are showing off. And think, for example, of the jewel in the crown, a really fantastic diamond that in 1849 was presented to Queen Victoria by the last Maharaja of the Sikh Empire, Dulip Singh. And it was apparently 186 carats. And in comparison today, the Hope Diamond, which is only a mere 45 carats, is worth over $250 million. So we're really talking about showing off by giving away lavish gifts. But we can also think about it in terms of the history of consumption and showing off. So in other words, buying extravagant things, having the latest appliance, the fastest sports car on the street. So it's about US consumerism in the 1950s, keeping up with the Joneses. I think also showing off is something that in Britain we don't like. Nobody likes a show off. And it's a very British thing, which, of course, connects us to arrogance. And people don't really like people being arrogant. It can also connect us to schadenfreude. And schadenfreude is a very complex emotion. And it's where you actually take a sense of delight in watching somebody fail. So it's completely the opposite of showing off. Another example of the opposite of showing off, actually, is if, if you think about the Civil War uh, in, 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 uh, in England, where the royalty up till then had very much shown off with their expensive jewels. Um, you know, particularly think about the Tudor crown and the Tudor throne and how very opulent it was. So when uh, the Civil War happens and Oliver Cromwell makes sure that Charles I is executed, he then goes on and melts down all of the crown jewels. So he's removing 
a, a tool by which the monarchy was able to show off. He does that. He knocks down castles as well, which brings us on to castles as an example of showing off. So what we wanted to do today was to focus very much on the example of Norman castles as being a truly brilliant way of looking at the history of showing off. Now, to understand exactly how and why this is important, you need to think about the Norman conquest. So here we have William of Normandy claiming that he's the rightful heir to the throne of England after the death of Edward the Confessor. And it's important to remember that William of Normandy is not the only one who's actually claiming the throne. Two other very powerful men, Harold Godwinson and Harold Hadrada, both also claim that they're the rightful heirs to the English crown. There are three major battles that eventually sort all this out, and it culminates in the 1066 Battle of Hastings, the invasion of William the Conqueror across the Channel from Normandy. And um, King Harold dies and William finds himself with a serious challenge of controlling this country that he's managed to invade. There are some fascinating sources, historical sources, describe the Norman Conquest. And one of them is uh, by Master Wace, who is a Norman um, a chronicler, a, a, a Norman French descriptor, uh, describer of the events. And he describes what actually happens once they land. A really important point. Then they cast out of the ships the materials and drew them to land, all shaped, framed and pierced, to receive the pins which they had brought, cut and ready in large barrels, so that before evening had well set in, they had finished a fort. So if you think about the Bayer tapestry and this illustration of the Norman conquest of England, one of the key things that is illustrated on the Bayer tapestry is the Normans building a castle. And it seems to be done so quickly, you've actually got a depiction of two men digging out a trench while others are still finishing the castle on top of the hill. They're digging out a trench, they're building up a hill, and this castle is being built on top. So castles were not just important to William the Conqueror. They were so important, he bought some sort of prefabricated ones. Think of those of a wardrobe you might have bought from Ikea or a desk. It's that kind of idea. He's got it all in a sort of flat pack and he's starting to build castles. And as soon as he lands, he builds them all over the country. What's important about these castles is, is, is how they were actually used. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle is a very important contemporary uh, description of events as well. Records how castles were built far and wide across the country and they were used to oppress the wretched people. And what he's doing is he's actually building these castles in very important locations. Firstly, he's building them on significant places on the skyline. So if you're out in the countryside, you cannot help but see one of these big castles. They started off being built out of timber and earth, and James is going to talk about Mott and Bailey's, but I'm interested in how he built them out of stone as well. So he's building these stone castles. They're very expensive to build. They take an army of carpenters and stonemasons and a huge amount of money and years to build. So they're a demonstration of wealth and dominion and lordship, and he's building them high up on the skyline so you can't help 
but see them. He's also building them on sites of pre-existing power. So you have to bear in mind that the Anglo-Saxon kingdom that he's just invaded already has a very long history. So for example, he builds a castle in Colchester, which used to be a very important Roman site. He also builds on very important Anglo-Saxon sites and even at Old Sarum, it's a significant site near Salisbury, that used to be an Iron Age site. So what William is doing is he's showing off his new power and he's doing it in locations where other people had once held power. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Two of the most interesting examples of these stone castles, of course, are the Tower of London. It's so famous and it's such an important site because it's been a castle since William the Conqueror built his first stone castle just on this strategic site in the capital of England. You can't help but get into London up the Thames without passing the Tower of London, peering at you over the Thames. Such an important port, such an important waterway. Another really interesting one is the Stone Castle at Exeter. Now this matters because King Harold, the King Harold who died at the Battle of Hastings, his mum actually came down to Exeter. and Exeter became a site of a rebellion. And when the city was eventually captured, they built a huge stone castle. It's, the gatehouse is still visible. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating castle because it has a very distinctive Norman arch. The Normans built in a very distinctive style called Romanesque architecture with very plain, simple arches. But just above this gateway are two very small pointed Anglo-Saxon style windows. And this is proof 
of the Norman conquerors using Anglo-Saxon building gangs to construct their castle, which I think is a fascinating idea. So they've conquered this people and then they're making them build the castle, which is going to be a permanent symbol, a permanent reminder that the Normans are not only here, but that they've won, that they've comprehensively won, and that they're not going to go away at all. So in this regard, these castles, these stone stone permanent big expensive castles are the ultimate example of the Normans showing off in the newly conquered English landscape. Now before I go on and talk about modern Bailey castles I just want to pick you up on your description of the siege of Exeter there Sams. Exeter was defeated in 1068 and one of my favourite anecdotes from this period was from a chronicler called William of Malmesbury, who was born in 1095 and lived till 1143. And he wrote a very famous book called The Deeds of English Kings. And in it, he described how during this siege of Exeter, one of the English defenders signalled his defiance to William the Conqueror by dropping his trousers and, I quote, farting in the king's general direction. It reminds me of that scene in Braveheart or that scene, feast your eyes in the animated film Brave. Could you imagine doing that? We don't know whether it's true, but it gives a sense of the resistance to the Normans when they came in and conquered. But what I want to talk about now is about Mott and Bailey castles. So before we get the building of these stone castles that Sam was talking about, they built in wood. And a typical feature of these early Norman castles is that what you would do is you would first build up a mound of earth called a mot. And around the bottom of that, you dig a deep ditch. And then on the top of your mot, on top of your mound of earth, you would build a wooden wall which was called a stockade or a palisade. And then inside this defensive stockade, you would add a wooden tower or keep. And next to the mot was a yard with a stockade, ditch and bank all around it. And this, this was called the bailey. And the bailey was where the soldiers lived. So the way that this would work is that if the castle was attacked, the soldiers would leave the bailey and would go up into the keep, crossing the bailey into the mot by the wooden drawbridge. And the drawbridge is a bridge that you can raise up or lower to help people getting in or out of it. And the reason that they build in wood is, as Sam was saying, it's very quick to build and something could be done in a few days. And a very important thing to know about William the Conqueror and the Norman invasion is that he came across with about 8,000 men. So this is a relatively small elite force. And what he wants to do is to try and consolidate his power in England. And building these Motten Bailey castles is a very effective way of doing this. This sense of showing off like this is designed to intimidate the conquered Anglo-Saxons and to very practically and visibly remind them of Norman power, that the Normans 
were the new kids on the block. Now, to end with, what we'd like to do is to present you with a series of tasks. Now, the first thing you should all do is watch Sam Willis's BBC TV series on <laughs> castles, shouldn't they, Sam? Is that they available should... on iPlayer during lockdown? It must be. I'm not sure. It might be. Have a look. <laughs> you should definitely have a look. The second thing that you should do is you should build your own Mott and Bailey castle. And you can either do this by finding natural things in the garden, or if you're a little more crafty, what you need is a series of materials. So you need cardboard for the base. You then need glue, you need twine, you need tape, scissors. You need those little lolly sticks that you can buy in craft shops. You need some milk containers. You need cardboard pieces. You could get pebbles, you could get clay, Play-Doh. You need some green paint and paint brushes. And what you want to do is first of all, to build the Bailey wall, Cut up your lollipop sticks in half and attach them to side by side with glue or twine to make the wall that surrounds the bailey. Then to build the mott on the edge of the bailey, pile up green clay or play-doh to make a, a mound of about eight inches wide at the base and about six inches tall. And then to make the bit on top, cut out a section of a milk container and place that on top to form your mot. And then you need a mot staircase so people to be able to get up. And cut more sticks, or you could even use pebbles, and stick them crosswise in a staircase fashion on the mot leading up to the keep. And there you are, there you have it, your basic mot and bailey castle. You can add all sorts of things inside. You can make cottages, you can put animals, you can put people, you can add a roof to the keep, uh, you can paint it green, you can construct doors, you can even construct a drawbridge. All of those things uh, would embellish this brilliantly. Now the final one, this is a writing and listening task. Now what we're interested in here is how did castles affect life in England after 1066? Now I'm going to read you a series of extracts from history books that have been written over the last 10 years or so. I want you to listen to those very carefully and think about making notes under headings. So castles making life better for English people and castles making life worse for people. OK, so I want you to keep have those two headings and then to make notes under those. And when your notes are finished, discuss whether you think castles were good or bad for English people during this time. Now, to start with, the first source. And this comes from a textbook, a history textbook written in 2002. The English had to get used to the castles and seeing the troops of heavily armed Norman knights riding through their towns and villages. These men were their new lords men who spoke a different language, men who had the power of life or death over them. So to bring out the main point there, people had to get used to seeing the castles of these invaders. The second extract is from a book written in 1997. Some English people may have been grateful for castles. The areas around them were peaceful 
and each castle provided work for the English. Sometimes the baron who supervised the building of the castle would try to get skilled craftsmen and their families to live near them. Huts and houses would be built around the castle walls, attracting further settlers like traders and innkeepers. Soon towns began to develop in these areas. So some very positive things there being said about the development of towns and about peace. Now, two more sources. The third one was written in a book in 1985. The Normans, it says, often pulled down houses to make way for new castles. In Gloucester, 16 houses were pulled down. In Cambridge, the number was 27. In Norwich, it was 113. And in Lincoln, 166. Families who lost their homes had to look after themselves. They were often made to work as slaves to build castles on the very places their homes had stood. That doesn't sound a particularly positive aspect of castles for the English. Now, the final source. This is from a textbook on the Normans written in 2002. It is not true that the English had no castles in 1066. Some Normans had already settled in England before 1066 and had built castles in Herefordshire, Essex and Dover. After 1066, new castles were built on older defensive sites. Lincoln Castle was built on the site of a Roman fort and the Normans left the Roman walls standing. The normal castle owners changed to English ways. The armies that were stationed in the castles were often made up of Norman and English soldiers. English people were often given important jobs in the castle, like collecting taxes from local people and working in the law courts. Eventually, English people married into Norman families. We've got a more balanced account there. So there we have it. Think about the pros and the cons of castles and think about whether they were good or bad for England. And if you guys do actually make a castle, please do take a photo of it and send it in. We'd absolutely love to see what you've made. Find out what we're up to on historiesoftheunexpected.com. Do please find us on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter and get in touch. Thanks, guys. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.
The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.